Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Alrighty, if you have your Bibles handy, open up to 1 Samuel. We're gonna jump back into 1 Samuel chapter six. I don't know where you are in our journey of 1 Samuel, but I will tell you this, I am loving 1 Samuel. It is just, it is, I don't, I don't know if fun's the right word. It is, it is so interesting to see how God has worked historically with his people. And, and this too, like I don't read 1 Samuel, like, oh, the Jewish people of old and like what he, like I am always seeing us in that and how he would interact with us to this day and, and like how I would have thought and how we would have acted and, and here we are today. So I'm, this is totally personal, I think, for uh, those of us who love the Lord. This is uh, great seeing what God has done, what he still does, and, then, and to know this. The God that, that was almost 3,000 years ago as these stories we're reading, this God working here 3,000 years ago, same God working today. He hasn't changed. And for an eternal being, 3,000 years, I mean, what is 3,000 years, right? So uh, it's the same God. He hasn't changed. Um, but, uh, but some of the things that he's doing with us have by way of covenants. But we'll, we'll talk about that later. All right, so um, let me catch you up to speed on where we are. So if you're like, oh, I don't remember where we are or I'm new here today, well, I'm gonna catch you up to speed. This is, this is gonna be a little easier as we get going. We have just come through a battle. So in the, the, the country, the region of what we call Israel today, um, the Philistines at the time we're reading about were kind of the powerhouse. They were the, they were the world power in Israel at this time. Uh, they were the feared enemy. They were the dominant uh, people. And, uh, and so Israel was really afraid of them. And so they had just had a battle where Israel went out and in their first part of the battle, Israel uh, was defeated and they lost about 4,000 foot soldiers. All right, so uh, that was a problem. Of course, they retreated. Uh, they're like, what did we do wrong? And the thought was this, maybe if we took the Ark of the Covenant with us, which is a representation of the presence of God. Now, to be fair, they really thought it was kind of the presence of God in total, but we understand it, it was a representation of the presence of God and that he would manifest himself from time to time upon the Ark, uh, but he wasn't always there. And, and they were associating it more like probably, um, this is they weren't making this association. I'm, I'm drawing the link for us mentally. Like the genie in the lamp. Like we have the, we have the lamp. Let's take the lamp with us to battle. We'll rub it and then God will, ta-da. And God didn't, ta-da. And uh, they lost. The Philistines wiped them out and uh, they lost 30,000 foot soldiers. And then the Philistines captured the ark. And then uh, they took the ark. They put it in their temple with their God. And uh, the next day, the God was found bowing down in front of the ark of the covenant the priest stood it back up. The next day, not only was it bowing down, it bowed down and its head broke off and its hands were broken off. And uh, it just total defeat uh, by the Lord. The Lord's like, hey, look, there's just one of us here. And, uh, and so then they're like, we got to get rid of this thing because also in addition to that, uh, they were having mass problems break out in the community where the ark was. Uh, and, and of particular note, despite what seems like uh, a rodent infestation, uh, probably, uh, they were developing these tumors in their bodies. And uh, even got to one point where we were talking about some of the, some of the tumors may have been like, anal tumors, like, like, it's like the most disgusting of tumors, like, they were like, and they're like, we got to get rid of this, and so they call up another town, like, hey, we thought we'd bring the ark down, do you want to see it, and they're like, oh, bring it down, they bring it down, same thing happens there, and they're like, wait a second, we don't want this thing, send it to another town, the other town's like, do not bring that box here, and, uh, and so it shows up, same thing happens, and people are just straight up dying, and so finally, they're like, we got to, we got to get rid of this thing, that's where we are in today's story, we are with Philistines who are freaking out, they have the ark of the covenant, 
trapped with where they are and they got to take it somewhere. So here's the journey. Um, in the northeast corner of this map here, you see Shiloh. Now Shiloh was where the tent of meeting was located, uh, which for us, we might think of like the, the, the old covenant, uh, not even that, Old Testament temple kind of thing, a picture kind of like that. So that's where the tent of meeting was. The, the Ark of the Covenant was there. The priest ministered there. Eli was there. Hophni and Phinehas were there. If you've been tracking our story, they run back from the battle in Ebenezer, run back, grab the ark, they march it back, uh, and they lose it where that little blow-up sign is. <laughs> and then uh, once they lose it, uh, the ark takes a journey down to Ashdod is where it ends up. Uh, and then they get rid of it and send it to Gath, and then from Gath to Ekron, and that's where we are in the journey today. We're in Ekron, and Ekron cannot get rid of this ark of the covenant fast enough. So now, 1 Samuel chapter 6, let's read about a people who are desperate for mercy. All right. First couple of verses. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And I'm speaking on behalf of the Philistines. Those were seven long months. <laughs> those were miserable, horrible months. Uh, verse two. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us what we shall send it to its place. So tell us with what we shall send it to its place. Now, they just, they just want to get rid of it. But here's the thing. They want to get rid of it rightly, I suppose. So they have called their religious people together, and they're going to ask their religious people for uh, advice. And it is interesting that God will use their advice. And it, you'll see this in Scripture and other places too. God will sometimes use false religious systems to do his will. Like within that, he'll do his will. Now, it doesn't legitimize a false religious system. For instance, uh, at some point we're going to see, and this is a story I can't wait to talk about, um, we're going to see uh, King Saul consult a witch uh, before we are done with this thing. And it will be an interesting thing, and God will use that moment. Now, it doesn't legitimize the false uh, religious thing, but it just means God is sovereign. He's the only one at work. And when he wants to show up, he's going to show up. Uh, he'll, he'll use anything. But we do know the only real thing in anything is, is our Lord. The other stuff is false, and those gods aren't real. Uh, verse 3. And then they said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. All right, so now they're saying return to him a guilt offering. Now it may sound a bit superstitious. It may sound like they're trying to pay off God. However, there is something to an offering. Right? An offering is a way to show honor through sacrifice. We know that in the church, right? When you give, it costs you. And the cost is part of the offering. That's what makes it worship. You know, like King David said, I'm not going to give to the Lord something that costs me nothing. Like, it has to cost. Like, that's part of the thing. And so they're like, hey, you've got to sacrifice. And in a sense, that will honor the Lord. And you know what? It does. It does honor the Lord. Now, it doesn't doesn't make them right with the Lord, but it is honoring in the context. And so that's what they're going to do. They are going to honor the Lord in response to their religious leaders. So now let's go to the next couple of verses, four and five. And they said, what is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? And they answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off of you and your gods and your land. I, 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 what? 
Like, like I get the mice thing, right? Like, so the idea is perhaps they've had a rodent infestation that has carried some form of the, like the bubonic plague or something like that. By the way, did anybody look up last week when I said look up the doctors from the bubonic plague? Did anybody look at that? Disturbing, right? Only one of you. I am disappointed. We need more of you. More of you should look that up. Um, uh, outfits doctors wore during the bubonic plague. Just put that in your head again. All right. Uh, don't do it now. Do it later. So, um, but now, like the idea, like the mice I get. Tumors? Really? Like, and if these are butt tumors. <laughs> hey, Bob, a little further over. I'm not quite in. Oh, I got it now. I got it. Thanks. You know, are there skills? What is it? What are we? What is going on here? So that's just weird. That's just, that's just weird. Uh, I kind of get like they're, they're, they want you to make five of them. So they, they want five golden tumors, five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. Now, I had said last week that, the, the, that Philistia, the, the region of the Philistines, had five key cities uh, of five key leaders, lords, um, and it was called the Pentapolis. And so that's, that's kind of what they're operating off of. Like there are five key cities that, that define kind of their region. Let's, let's give a sacrifice in regard to those. Because when God struck, he didn't just strike the city, he struck the region around it. And so this would basically represent the entirety uh, of the country. Uh, and so <laughs> here they are making these things. And I think the language is interesting too, because they, they make this idea that perhaps Perhaps he will show mercy. Perhaps God will uh, lighten his hand from off of you. And so I think even they're saying, we're not sure this will work, but this seems like a pretty good idea. So let's give it a shot, right? It, like, let's just, let's go, maybe he'll do that. And I'm not even sure that they think they can manipulate God because it doesn't sound like that. Like, if we do this, he'll do this. It just sounds like they're really appealing for mercy. Like, we hope this will work. So let's do this and let's hope that he shows us uh, some mercy in this. And then if I could draw your attention in, even in, in verse five, Give glory to the God of Israel. I love that you have this, this pagan culture who is pausing to say, we must give glory to the God of Israel. Now, they don't mean it like you and I would mean it, but at least in this sense, they're intending their offering to give glory to God, which I guess actually is a very Christian idea. I mean, when we give an offering, that's what our, our prayer, right? We want, we want our offerings to give glory to God. And so uh, in that sense, they're, they're right. They want this. Uh, go to verse six. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts after he had dealt severely with them? Did they not send the people away and they departed? Okay, now that's interesting. Like we're reading this here and they're like, hey, listen, now you remember what happened with Pharaoh, the Egyptians and Israel, right? And there's a part of you as a Christian reading this, if you know the story, which is a remarkable story. And if you're not familiar with it, you gotta go back and find that. It's a good story. Um, like you would look at this and you go, okay, okay, they get it. They know their history. Wow, they're showing some respect to the God of Israel. But then you go, well, wait a second. Aren't they currently subjugating Israel? Haven't they already been at war with Israel? Like apparently this thought hasn't bothered them until now. And here's the thing, you can talk all the smack you want until God begins to move. And then at that point, we need to show him some respect. <laughs> and that's, that's where they're at. They're like, oh yeah, we were, we were beating the Israelites around for a while there, but now like, whoa, now that God's hand is against us, we need to rethink how we do some things. We need to learn from, like, okay, yeah, okay, it's time to learn. It is, it's time to learn. And we're reminded too, and let me remind you of this. This is much less about the Philistines much more about the Israelites. What he is trying to address with the Israelites is their lack of appreciation for a holy God and what that means. They have presumed relationship that wasn't there. They've presumed intimacy that wasn't there. They've presumed control that wasn't there. 
And now God's reminding them, I am God, I am holy. You do not manipulate me. You do not control me. You're subject to me. And I will remind you of that by allowing this foreign enemy to conquer you and steal my box, right? And that has just thrown them into all sorts of a, a tizzy here. All right, let's go to verse seven. So this is what they say. Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke and yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them. All right, so there's a few things going on here. One is the idea of a new cart. So they're probably thinking, if we're gonna do this, let's, let's have a cart that is ceremonially clean. Nothing has defiled it by, by being put in the cart, being hauled in the cart, uh, not even the ground. It's got, we're just gonna build a fresh, brand new cart, make it ceremonially clean. That's probably in their, their head as they're doing this. But now we need a little bit of a farmer lesson. So I'm not a farmer, never been a farmer. I don't presume to be a farmer. But there are some things uh, about this that, that what they're putting together here, there's a series of things they're connecting together that will make sense when we're done. So one is I want you to go get a couple of milk cows. Now, milk cows don't normally pull carts. They can. They don't normally. They're milk cows. You, you milk with them. You get, you get oxen. Uh, you can even get mules. Uh, to, but you don't, you don't normally do it with milk cows, right? The milk cows have a different job. So apparently animals need to learn to pull. That's something you got to train them to do. They don't naturally do that. Here's another thing. They don't also naturally pull in teams. Like you have to teach them to pull as a pair. Like there's a different thing that goes with that. So you've got milk cows. They don't normally pull. Uh, you, you, you have taken two. You've put them together. They don't normally pull together. And here's another thing. The idea is that they're going to put them on this cart. They're going to put the ark on the cart and then they're going to send it. And they're going to be like, go ahead. Like the animals won't know where to go. If you take a plow and put it on an ox and put it in a field and be like, I'll be back in a couple hours. Like that is not, that's not going to be a good field, but I don't even know where that stuff's going to be, if it'll be anywhere. So like, here's the thought. There are so many reasons why this idea should not work, right? So that, that's, the, that's what they're setting up here. Now, here's where they're going with this. Let's keep going, verses eight and nine. And take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put in a box at its side the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way and watch. And if it goes up on the way to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by coincidence. So now, all they just want to know is this. This is so funny to me. Is it just coincidental that everywhere the ark goes, there's an infestation and we break out in tumors? I mean, like, is it just, like, just random luck? It's just happened to three cities in a row. I mean, maybe this just happens, you know? It just happens from time to time, you know? And if we just don't worry about it, it'll probably happen in another town. Like, or is this the hand of God against us? Now, to be fair, I don't think any of them are really wrestling with that. But at least this way, we're going to remove all the mystery. We're going to try and figure this out. And so now here they've cobbled together what we would call a guilt offering. Now they're taking this guilt offering. Let's see what happens in verses 10 through 12. The men did so, and they took two milk cows, and they yoked them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and the images of their tumors... And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. 
All right, well, we have, the, we have our answer. <laughs> like, that should not have worked. So, like, here's another thing. The idea of taking the calves and locking them up at home, basically. So if, if as I'm, again, I had to read this. I don't know this. Um, apparently, when a, a cow has a calf, it wants to stay with that calf until that calf is weaned. It just has a, a just a God-infused understanding that I have to care for this baby uh, until it is weaned, and then it can do whatever it wants to in life. But so the idea is they would be naturally inclined to not plow, not plow together, not go in the right direction, and want to go back to their calves. And when none of those things happen. And they're just trucking. I mean, like, they start off, and they're just like, dude, and they're just going down the road. Like, the people of the best semester are like, what are we seeing? Like, this is crazy. And, like, so here they go. And the mooing thing. Like, moo, <laughs> a moo. A moo apparently can mean a lot of things. I had to, again, I had to look this up. This is the stuff I research, right? So uh, it can mean all sorts of things. But I'm wondering here, in this instance, does it mean something different than, like, what would be normal? Because one of the things I read is it can be contentedness. Like, sometimes if, if a cow is just having a good day, it'll move. Now, the problem, of course, is if it's having a bad day, it'll also move. Like, I don't, you know, because if it's hurt, it'll move. If it's happy, it'll move. Like, it does all these things. But it seems to me that perhaps, are we, are we hearing moves of praise? I mean, like, if God's already directing the cows, why can't he direct them to sing? Like, what, what if they're just rocking out some sort of moo praise as they're, they're going along here? And I'm thinking, if nothing else, it certainly draws attention. And you want to talk about what would be one of the weirdest sights of all is the most holy thing of the people of Israel all by itself on a cart with golden mice and butt tumors as two cows are walking down the road just like moo, moo, moo. You know, they, they do that. Mm, uh, and then the people walking around like, what is going on here? And this is just God showing off. That's all it is. Just God showing off like, and, and I think this is important for us to remember too. Like when God wants to do stuff, he just does it. God knows how to take care of himself. So the Israelites are freaking out. The box is gone. They've taken the box. God is gone. He's abandoned us. All this kind of, God has never been out of control during this whole time. He's just teaching the Israelites something, right? So here I'm pulling back now and we go, wait, wait, wait. Is there a lesson here for us? Like, like, as we look at, let's say, just our nation today and just how weird it has gotten lately, just a lot of weird stuff going on, anti-biblical, anti-God kind of stuff just being worked into our culture, force-fed to people. You're like, what is going on in our culture today? And there's this sense sometimes, I think, for us who will say, like, things are just out of control, man. They're out of control. People are worse than ever. They're like, like okay, uh, you know what? You know what's not out of control? God. He is, he is firmly in control. And I, and I was thinking back to, you know, growing up, you would hear from people like, this, this generation is the worst generation ever. And the people that preceded them, worst generation ever. And so now we're replicating just what our parents and grandparents have said. This is the worst generation ever. You know what our kids are going to say? Worst generation ever. You know, here's the thing. God has been able to deal with every worst generation ever from the beginning of time. And he still comes out as sovereign over all. Jesus still saves. The Holy Spirit's still on the move. Let's just take a moment this morning and just breathe a bit. You know, as you freak out looking at the news, freak out thinking about elections, freak out whatever. Just pause and go, okay, God's in control. God is in control. Like, we're going we're gonna to be okay. So here are these moo cows taking it down. By the way, I was thinking about this too. You know, there's all these weird children's stories. If you're a Christian, you're trying to find little stuff to read to your kids at night. You go to the Bible bookstore, you go online and you look. There's all these little children's stories of these things. I don't know that anybody's ever written a children's story about the cows taking the ark back to Beth Shemesh. So if you're a, a writer and you're like, you know what? 
That's a great idea. So, you know, we've already had Raiders of the Lost Ark, good movie. How about Moo Cows of the Lost Ark? <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's a children's book in there somewhere. So, when you are cashing in your royalties, taking your trip to Paris or whatever, please don't forget your local church that influenced you and encouraged you. All right. So, let's go forward here a little bit more uh, in our story. Look at verses 13 and 14. Now, the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. I mean, okay. I mean, bad day for the cows. But, you know, <laughs> that children's story is going to take a dark turn. I mean, it is... <laughs> You know, but uh, maybe just end it before there. But, you know, but here's the thing. Like, think about how much God has put into motion here. Like, it literally parks itself next to a giant naturally occurring stone table in somebody's field. Like, I mean, like when God shows off, he just, he just shows off. So it's harvest time. Things are great at harvest time anyway. Again, I'm not a farmer, but with harvesting, I do know this. When your stuff, you can finally harvest your stuff. When they're cutting that wheat, it is food and money is all they're thinking about. Money, money. They're just cutting that wheat. Money, money, money. Or food, food. We're going to eat. We're going to live. Like, it's a good time. That, that's why they would have these harvest parties because you'd have this abundance of stuff that you could sell or live off of. And you're like, woo, God has provided. And then in the middle of all this, woo, God has provided. Here comes the Ark of the Covenant pulling up and parking next to this table. Like, if you're an Israelite, you don't even have a category for how cool this is right now. Like, there's, it is so out of the ordinary, so out of the, it's just so crazy that this is happening right now. They are losing their minds at what they are seeing as this unfolds before them. So now you get to verse 15, verse 15. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and they set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. So I don't know if it struck you or not. It struck me when I read it. Uh, the Levites are there. And like one of the questions you might ask, like, wait, whoa, how did the Levites get there? Like, did, the, did this, did the cows park? And then somebody's like, go get some priests, right? And uh, no, but apparently, and I did not know this until I was studying this, apparently Beth Shemesh was a Levitical city. That is, it was a city in which Levites naturally lived. So the God's priests were already in town. So again, just God setting this up. And so when they got there, unlike the Philistines, um, now maybe Israel's a little bit smarter. Hey, hold on a second. Go get the Levites. And so the Levites come back because they would know how to handle everything. They know what to do with the ark. Uh, they probably initiated the sacrifice um, uh, that, that went on there, and they lead the whole thing. And, uh, and then I'm picturing, though, what if you're the guy who's opening the box, Right? From the, from the people. You're like, you, got the, you got the box there, you pull it out, you see all these little mice in there, you're like, okay, I get the mice thing. And then you pick up this other thing, you're like, what the heck is this? You know? And then, then there's a note inside. And so you look down, there's a little note, um, sorry about stealing your God. Uh, we have shaped some gold in the form of mice and butt tumors. Have a nice day. <laughs> you know, like, well, why would you do that? That's like, that's hideous. That's a horrible idea. So they're now aware of what's going on here. And then we get to verses uh, 17 and 18. Uh, these are the golden tumors that the Philistines returned as a guilt offering to the Lord. 
One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. Now we're walking through the five cities. And the golden mice, according to the numbers of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and unwalled villages. The great stone beside which they set down the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. And I like this too, this idea that, that God parked it next to a place that not only could they do the sacrifices and honor him and you know, go through all this, but like this thing's gonna be a memorial forever. So here was something fun you can do as well, later, not now, is you can look up like table in Beth Shemesh where the ark was or something like cobble some words together like that and you'll find what they think might be the actual stone table thing uh, that the ark sat on. Now we don't know but it is always fun to, to research. And I would say this, that rock has not gone away. That rock exists somewhere. So uh, they may have actually found it, we don't know. But I just think it's cool, this idea of a memorial. And I'm not opposed to a memorial even in our own lives. That there are some of you who've done that where a significant thing happens spiritually in your life to you, to your family, or whatever it would be. And there's a bit of a memorial you do. Like we do it when like, somebody dies. My mom died years ago, and when we went to uh, a, a, an honorary thing, they were doing some club or something was honoring her, um, they gave us a gardenia as a, as a family. They're like, here, oh, here, take this as a memory of your mom, and it's this little gardenia. And uh, we're like, all right, we'll put it out in front of our house. Now, that gardenia, several years have gone by, is huge, is massive now. And I don't know if you're familiar with the gardenia. The flowers that it puts out and the scent it puts out, absolutely amazing. And I'll, literally, every time I walk by, and now it's full in bloom right now, every time I walk by and I smell that, Reminds me of my mom. And I'm like, okay, like, that's a memorial. This, and so I think there should be maybe some spiritual things in your life like that, where it's something that reminds you of the Lord. And uh, that's what they had. This, this table would forever be there, a reminder of, of how God works, what he does. Um, and so we have this beautiful moment. And so now, oh, all is well, right? It's great, everything's good, everything's back to how it should be. All right, let's talk about a lesson relearned, verses 19 and 20. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them and the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God, and to whom shall he go up away from us? Now you're probably thinking, what just happened? So the ark, or even more particularly, Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> they kind of had it right. Um, the problem here is, is not that they just looked at it, because everybody looked at it by that point. You can't have the Ark and not look at it. I think everybody's looking at it. So he didn't kill everybody. What was the thing then? So apparently 70, 70 of them had looked at it in, um, I don't know, an unholy way. And what probably happened is probably they opened it up to see what was inside. All right, can I, I'll just say this. If you're walking down the road, and you see the Ark of the Covenant just sitting on the side of the road. Don't think to yourself, I know what's inside there. Let's go check. That's, that's just a bad idea. It's just a bad idea. Like, so they, they have treated this in a way they should not have treated it. And, and here's the thing. This is the same problem that got them in trouble in the first place. They were taking God too lightly. They were taking his word too lightly. They were doing what they wanted, not what he wanted. There were rules for handling the Ark. You don't touch the Ark. This is a priest thing. And if you're not a priest, you don't touch the ark. And even if you are a priest, when you touch the ark, you do it in a particular way. If this is the throne of God, you don't just handle it like, you know, it's a piece of furniture at grandma's house. That's not how this works. And so I would say this, and here's the big lesson I think in the midst of this. 
Don't mistake God's apparent absence for a lack of his presence. Don't mistake God's apparent absence for a lack of his presence. And I actually worry that we do that all the time. It seems like he's not here, right? I'm just praying to the ceiling. Nothing's happening. I don't even know if he's aware of me. (sighs) He's right here. He is right here. Don't ever forget that. They forgot that. And God looked and he was, and they make this comment. Who can stand in the presence of this holy God? Which tells me just by their language, they're not connected to the Lord. They're distant from the Lord. (laughs) And then the response here, I don't know if you caught it. And to whom shall he go up away from us? Verse 21. So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. Like, hey, we've got a gift. Hey, the ark came back. You can have it. You can, and I can just see the people coming down from Kiriath-Jerim going, oh, yeah, man, the ark is amazing. What's with all the tombstones? You're like, oh, nothing. It's all cool. It's all cool. Yeah, let's just take it. Just take it. You can, you can take it and go. So now they're just like the Philistines. And so just like the Philistines were far from God, you still have a group of Israelites who are so far from God. Now they realize they don't even want to touch it anymore. Like, we were all happy. We were celebrating. It's like people who would, would go to a church service and sing the songs and, and take communion and, and lift their hands or whatever it would be, but they're not connected to the Lord. They're literally not saved. They're just kind of going through the motions. That's what's going on here with some of these uh, Israelites. They're celebrating, they're cheering, they're yelling, but they're not in. They're just not in. Um, and this idea, uh, this question, like who can stand in the presence of the Holy God? I mean, that's a great question. And it was one of those things that Isaiah asked when suddenly he found himself in the throne room of God. And some of you are familiar with this in Isaiah chapter six. It says, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, meaning he's sinful. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So the reason we can be in the presence of a holy God is only because of a connection through Christ. Like if we are not children of God through the sacrifice of Christ, we will not be able to stand in the presence of God, which is why it's so essential that in this world, we put our full faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in him, we submit to him. Um, this thing about holiness, um, I, there should be a sense in which if you say, the, like the holiness of God scares me a little bit, I would say, good, that's a good thing. But, but notice what it did with Hannah. If you went back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter two, Hannah is driven to praise because of the holiness of God. That's really how it's supposed to be. That, that this idea that I, have to, I just have to keep in mind, I love the Lord, I've got a connection with the Lord, but if he ever shows up with his presence, God is terrifying because we're just people. We're created beings. He is eternal. He is all powerful. He's not just a different version of us. He's holy. He is other. And if he shows up in his true presence with his power, he'd be terrifying even to those who love him. And so one of the things we said last week was that the Israelites had taken God too lightly, and we want to make sure that we don't do that. And so I had this thing that I recommended, not biblical, it was more of the Jeff than of the Lord, but here's the thought. It was like, let your body know that you know what it means to submit to one who is higher than you. And so I encouraged you that in some way, let your posture this last week at some point reflect that. 
So get down on your knees if you can uh, to read the Bible or to pray just as a sign that like I get it. I get that God's better than me. And if you can't do that, certainly bow your head just as a sign of like, like I am willing to humble myself before the Lord. So this week I was thinking of something else. I had another thought. Like, okay, the same idea, not take God lightly. Uh, I, I am connected to him through Christ, but I still understand that that doesn't make him my buddy. He is still sovereign. He is still God. And then I was thinking this. Well, like, well, what if, what if something else then? What if we made this time when we come in here? What if for you, when we come in here to gather to worship the Lord, this becomes a holy moment? Now, holy means set apart. It is other. What if we did that? And how's a way we can do that? I, I think I've got a way, maybe. Like, what if you just turned off your phone when you came in to worship? Uh, like, and I, some of you use the Bible on your phone. I get it. If you're reading the Bible on your phone, it's much more convenient than carrying the giant study Bible. I get it. But maybe, maybe just turn it off when you come here. Or just say, I'm not going to surf the, the internet even when he references these weird doctors from the bubonic plague. Uh, I'm not going to check social media. I'm not going to play games. Nobody's playing games, right, during the service? Please don't do that. Uh, uh, but like, like, what if we just make this a holy moment? Now, again, not a, not a of the Lord, just a of the Jeff kind of thought. But, but here's my thought again. Let me, just, let me close with this. Let us not mistake the apparent absence of God for a lack of his presence. Father God, thank you this morning for this reminder. Thank you what you remind us consistently as we study your word. That you definitely want to communicate to us. You have a plan for us. And those that will submit themselves to you, those that will believe in you, Lord, you offer an unbelievable opportunity to actually become children of God. But Lord, even as your children, we must respect the power and the authority of our sovereign and holy God. So Lord, we submit ourselves afresh to you this morning. We claim again how grateful we are for the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, putting our full faith in Jesus as our Savior. May you fill us and may you fill this place with your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Uh, before you leave, if you'd like prayer for anything, we'll have some pastors and elders up here. If you want to ask some bylaw questions, we'll also be here. Have a great day. Thank you.